I'd like to uh, say that I'm so thankful to be here and for this privilege and to be among such a group as this. I wish that God would help us to realize the influence and the responsibility that we have that is ours. I think probably we would be on our knees more if we understood that that we could and should be doing. I would uh, like to go on that purpose today or in that direction. This is not a subject, actually, that I chose. It's been on my mind for several years. Uh, the year that we got canceled, I think, is a different title, but I was going to try to do this. And I wasn't very far long in studying it, for developing it, when uh, we canceled, and it just kind of sat there, and I thought maybe, you know, I might get by without having to teach it. I, I love some of these subjects we've had, and we've had wonderful, wonderful lessons. And uh, I like those beautiful things about the Word of God. I love that last one. You know, I, I can follow Brother Danny. I, I follow everybody. The lessons have been wonderful, but Brother Danny's mind just kind of fits the way mine goes, and so, and so I, I really enjoy hearing him teach. And I love to teach those beautiful things about the Bible. I like to consider heaven and all those things. But I've got to give a warning today. Okay? I need to give a warning. Um, yesterday, my mind was scattered. I, I didn't know. And I still don't know exactly where I'm going to go. I got several pages of notes and spent a little time working on this, but I don't know exactly how this is going to end up. So you continue to try to pray for me. When a uh, infantry unit, a small infantry unit, goes in a night emplacement, there are lots of preparations that are made. Uh, the leader has to make sure that his entire perimeter is covered and he places his people and his different weapons and so forth. But one of the things that he does We'll get on the radio, and you call in Delta Tangos. That stands for DT, which is defensive targets. He calls that into the artillery, and he looks at his position, and if there is a ravine out here, he thinks the enemy, when they attack, they might come out of that ravine. And there's a big boulder over here, and they might use that for cover. And he took all of these things, and he may call in one, two, five, six, Delta Tangos. The artillery, the FDCs, prepares all the gun data for that. Sometimes they even set a gun for it. Sometimes when he's doing that, they're trying to hide their position and he's whispering. I've heard those men in the middle of the night, four o'clock in the morning. You hear them click that mic, and they aren't whispering then. They make contact, and they say, H-E, fire for effect, Delta Tango 4. And I mean, in seconds, those guns light up, and the artillery comes in. If they're experienced and they're well-taught, that officer may save his people's lives and may win a victory by that preparation. Brethren, we are going to get attacked. And the Bible teaches us some place that we need to set some Delta Tangos. 
And we're going to talk about one of those today. One thing that we need to be aware of and that we need to be prepared for. We need to pray to God that he would keep us safe from it. Oh, he's got heavy fire. He can, he can provide what we need. But we need to recognize that and, and call that in. When the children of Israel, I'm going to read more than I like. That's uh, not good teaching technique, but there's some things I need to cover, some narratives we need to cover. Uh, in Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter and 11th verse, it says, Beware, the people, are getting, the people of Israel are getting ready to go into Canaan. He said, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And thou say in thy heart, my power and my might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. We must remember that anything we are is because God has given it to us. And I didn't read all that. He tells us that. For a text, I would like to go to Proverbs. And it says, before destruction... The heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. The content of my lesson is humility and pride. I'm going to contend that humility cannot be generated in our own heart by ourselves. It must come from God. Pride and humility are not only signs, but causes of failure and success. The Word of God does not leave any doubt about about God's opinion about pride and humility. uh, Adam and Eve sinned and changed the nature of man because of that sin, and they became susceptible to pride. It affects and deals with the very origin of sin. It's very fundamental to sin. In Isaiah, the 14th chapter, in the 12th through the 15th verses, it says, referring to, well, I'll tell you before I read it, it, it's written by Isaiah, inspired by God, to a king of Babylon. But he is referring, I'm sure, to something that happened in eternity. He said, Art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Remember, Lucifer was an angel. Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit upon the mount of the congregation and in the sides of the north. 
and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now remember, he was, he was writing this to, to Babylon and to the king of Babylon. But I think he was referring to something that had happened uh, before that. The first sin on the earth involved pride, did it not? The serpent went to Eve, beguiled her, and said, For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. I want to talk first of all about pride. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. Pride puts everything in disorder. The proper value is not placed on God and self. Webster, formal definition. Of course, I'm referring to the 1828 uh, edition. Inordinate self-esteem. An unreasonable Conceit of one's own superiority in talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distance, reserve, and often in contempt of others. It has otherwise been defined as an attitude of self-sufficiency, self-importance, self-exaltation in relation to God. Toward others is an attitude of contempt and indifference. Some things about pride. There's absolutely no justification or reason for it. Man is the creature and God is the creator. That's true even naturally, but we that are saved certainly should be aware of that because if it weren't for his grace we would be bound for a devil's hell if we weren't there already without God man does not even exist nothing exists got thinking here a while back you know there's two kinds of things God and what God made I don't I don't find any other definition of things Man is here today and gone tomorrow. God is from everlasting to everlasting. Man is self-existent and, I mean, God is self-existent and man is only made by God. Man is ignorant, isn't he? Sometimes we think we know a lot. What's going to happen tomorrow morning? You have no idea. God does. Sometimes I marvel that I don't pay much attention to God. Number one, he's convinced me in salvation, if not other, that he loves me and that he wants to do what's best for me. And then I don't listen to his counsel. He knows everything. You know, the times in my life when I have followed him, I found out that it came out pretty well. Maybe not the way that I might measure it sometimes or the way that men might measure it, but in the sight of God is exactly what it needed to be. 
Pride is a flexible thing. Don't think you can figure it out. It changes shape. The poor, the rich, the ignorant, the learned, the dissenter and the churchman are all subject to pride. What do you think makes the little bully a bully? It's pride. He's not a good student. He's not a good athlete. He's going to feel good about something. He's the toughest kid in the school. Puts his will over someone else's. It's pride. The seat of pride is the human heart. Proverbs says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Satan had access to the garden, did he? Didn't he? He didn't sneak in there. That's God's design. He gave him access to it. By that way, God was glorified, wasn't he? Man failed. He didn't obey. That's, you know, that's what God expects, isn't it? One, one expectation is obedience. That first Adam failed. The last Adam didn't. Amen. He obeyed even to the death on the cross. Amen. Despite the access that Satan had to him. Now... Satan is given access in the Garden of Eden, but he's given access to your heart. Maybe you don't have trouble with that, but I do. I think you all do. That's why writer of Proverbs told us to guard our heart. You make the fountain, the heart, pure. The stream, life, is sweet. A lot of our service for God is down here in that battle. Satan is always trying to contaminate that in many ways. Today, we're going to look at one avenue that Satan uses, one place we need to ride a Delta Tango, and that is for pride. It's not the only thing that Satan uses, but I think it's a prominent one. We've already demonstrated that it is the very genesis of sin, both in heaven and on earth. I don't think Satan has chosen to give that up. I think he still uses it. The consequence of pride, of course, we've already read, is destruction. Lucifer, Lucifer, the son of the morning, became the lord of darkness. Satan, the fallen one, because he became proud. What a come down. In heaven, not only was he an angel, I, I, I infer the fact that he was an elevated angel, a beautiful angel. And because of pride, he lost all of that. Eve was beguiled by Satan to seek to become as gods. When she and Adam fell, they died. And their descendants became sons of toil and sorrow because of pride. King Hezekiah, you remember King Hezekiah? 
in pride, he kind of did a foolish thing. At the time, uh, Babylon was a great nation, and ambassadors came, and he showed them all of his stuff. <laughs> you know, like, look at what I've got. You know, look at the wealth and look at this nation. He did that, and then Isaiah came unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men, and from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They came from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen of thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in mine house have they seen. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. I bragged about it all. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Before the days come, that all that is in thine house and that which is thy father's have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried unto Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. You know, we can lose a lot. We've been given a great inheritance. And we can lose it. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The future will be gone. God help us and give us the wisdom to recognize that danger and to set up a delta tango. Nebuchadnezzar demonstrated pride. He said, the king spake and said, is not this the great Babylon that I built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for, for the honor of my majesty? And God had a little to do with that, didn't he? You remember that. God humiliated him. You know what the conclusion was? Later, Nebuchadnezzar said, he changed his tune. He said, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are true, and his ways judgment, and these are they that walk in pride. He is able to abase. You know what that reminds me of? Of a little nine-year-old boy who got changed. Now, I didn't have a lot. I I grew up wealthy because I I had the privilege of being in church all my life, heard preaching all my life. I'd seen a lot of people saved. Part of my plans was to get saved. But I look back on it and realize that I was full of pride. You know, I I, I decided that when I got lost that I'd seek the Lord and I'd get saved. And one night I acknowledged the fact to my parents at home that I was lost. And so I began to seek the Lord. I've been privileged to see a lot of people seek the Lord. And I prayed as best I knew how. I did everything I ever saw anybody do. And it didn't do any good. I wasn't any better. I was worse. 
My heart was full of perfect nothingness. Yeah. I was getting about where I could get saved. And when I got there, that was God's work, by the way. You can't do that on your own. You can't get saved on your own. I don't think we can serve the Lord on our own. But from the very depths of my heart, after I got rid of all that, I said, Lord, I'll do anything if you'll save my soul. And the thought had never entered my heart before. But the Lord put it in there. I said, even to preach. Where that came from, I don't know. I didn't think about it for four and a half months. And boy, I thought about it then. I've never had an experience before or after since then. It was like lightning came out of the sky. But to preach. Did you see God emptied that heart? Kind of a good little boy's heart as far as people look at it. But I was a wicked sinner. And I had my way planned out to get saved. And that had to be got rid of. Well, that continues on. I struggled with that call to the ministry for three years. It's a long time for a nine-year-old. I was 12 years old and I acknowledged that. It was like getting out of jail. Here I'd, I'd been fighting this for three years and that was between me and God. And whoa, I felt good. Felt good. I was relieved because I was, there wasn't anything between me and God. For about two days and they put me in to preach. <laughs> and that burden came back. Well, I'd preach a lot of sermons in bed, not sermons, but you know, just uh, the Lord had just put that in there. I thought, well, I'll preach. Boy, I got up. I have no idea what lesson I read, had no idea what I said. It wasn't over 10 words. I just utterly failed, but it was over with. And they put me in to preach again. Boy, I was in trouble then. God took all that out of there. I found out I couldn't preach. The second time I tried to preach, I went in a condition of perfect nothingness because I knew I couldn't do it. I remember the sensation, though my mouth wouldn't move fast enough to put out what God was putting in my heart. Now, one would think that if you learned that once, that you'd have it learned. But brethren, I'm still working on it. And I expect as long as I dwell in this flesh that I will be working on allowing God to put in my heart a perfect nothingness of humility. Come up with a little corollary here. This is a canarianism. This is not out of the Bible. It's nobody. It's just me. So you just dismiss it. But if you think you can preach, you can't. I like to get up to preach when my heart's heavy. What am I going to do, Lord? Doesn't mean you don't have study. You've got to have this study. But you can know everything. You can have a, a, a wonderful sermon in your mind and outlined. And you can even feel the Spirit of God as you study that. But you need the help of the Lord as you stand, understanding that we can't do it, but that it comes from God. God grant us that perfect nothingness. Help us to empty ourselves out unto thee. You know why you had to do that when you got lost? God wanted to come in there. 
God's jealous. He won't go in there with anything else. He's got to be empty. You got to die to sin. And when it's empty, then the Lord will come in. Same way when we serve him. Same way when we serve him. There's lots of spiritual examples uh, of, uh, of uh, pride in the Bible. I'm going to read a, whoa, I'm going to read a big long lesson, though that time is going very quickly. And I may not read it all, but you go back and read it. I told you it's been on my heart for my mind for years. But I was privileged to go to the Winter Bible Study this year over Fairview Memorial. I went home one night. I told my wife, I said, we got some wonderful young ministers. I heard some wonderful lessons. Very well taught. We've got to guard those men. We need to pray for them. And brother, you need need the Lord to watch after you. You need to set up those Delta Tangos because you are going to be attacked by the devil. This is about Uzziah. I don't know how many of you are intimately familiar with him. But uh, 2 Chronicles, the 26th chapter, it says, And then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the, room, in the room of his father, Amaziah. And he built Eloth, and he restored it to Judah after that the king slept with his fathers. 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 2 years in Jerusalem. And the scriptures go down and show all the things that he did. Wonderful prosperity. He built weapons of war. He, he built all kinds of things. And not only did he prosper and became well known, but the country prospered. Skip down to the 16th verse. It says, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. It doesn't tell us exactly how long. He, he, uh, he was 16 years old. When he, when he started reigning, reigned 52 years, so he died when he was 68. And, but I, I think this occurred late in his life, probably within a year, two, three years of his death. I don't know that. I, I, I infer that. I'm pretty sure of that in my opinion, but it's just my opinion. It says, For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense unto the altar of incense. And Amaziah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord, and they were valiant men, and they withstood Uzziah the king, and said unto him, It pertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priest of the son of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord." He got leprosy on his forehead. And that's the last day he reigned. You don't get old too old for pride. 
We've got to look a while at humility. Humility is more than just the absence of pride. In ethics, according to Webster, humility is the freedom from pride and arrogance, humbleness of mind, a modest estimate of one's own worth. In theology, humility consists in the lowliness of mind, a deep sense of one's own unworthiness, in the sight of God, self-abasement, penitence for sin, and submission to the divine will. C.H. Spurgeon stated that it is to think rightly of ourselves. Man should think not of himself as his opinion or what other men may think, but what God thinks. God got disgruntled with his people one time because they measured themselves by themselves. That a sliding scale, you know. I'm okay because I'm better than that guy. Probably wouldn't, but that's the opinion you like to have. That doesn't count. You know, I tell people they're lost sometimes in preaching revival. You aren't good enough to go to heaven. Just not good enough because you're going to be measured against a standard. What is that standard? The holiness of God. And you're going to be found wanting. My secretary one time, we'd run into a little deal on paper supply. And, and we, you know, we got it from central office sort of thing. But so she said, go by the office supply and get, get a couple of, of packs of paper. I said, okay. So I, I went to office supply and I said, I, I need a couple of packs of uh, white paper. And she said, what white you want? I said, I just want white paper. Well, I didn't realize there's a whole white scale. She pulled it out, and one looked real white to me, and she called another one. That looked yellow. We're going to go up next to the holiness of God, and we're all to be found wanting. But you know what? We as God's children, we have an advantage because the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith can be counted to us. And we even do that in our service. We pray to the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ. We can't pray unless we pray through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Humility is not underrating oneself. I've questioned whether to relate this or not, but I'm I'm going to. It's kind of a funny thing. I was... uh, I was younger and uh, much younger and uh, was at a revival in Missouri and a man that you all would know who even then was very well studied was helping in this revival. I think it was just a short few night service and they had a pastor that was young and wasn't the student of the Bible that this other man was and he felt intimidated and uh, he shouldn't have been, but he felt intimidated, and, and he had no ill will. He kept saying, amen, amen, amen. You know, it just, he wasn't even listening to what I said, just amen. He was wanting to get along. He didn't mean anything bad by it. It just, just he was just saying it. And uh, the older preacher, I think, thought it was detractive, so he was preaching along, and right in stride, he said, and I am just the worst and, and, and weakest creature that ever tried to serve the Lord, and just quit. 
abruptly. And there was about a half a second silence, and there it was. Amen. (laughs) Well, then it got real quiet because the older guy didn't say anything. And then the young man was, you know, was trying to take those words back. And the man just turned over and said, it's too late, brother. And, and, and you know what? The amen stopped. Okay. But humility is not putting ourselves down. Okay. A, uh, I was going to say a young preacher, but his name was mentioned. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and mention it. Brother Keith Freeze. Uh, when I was first I told I was called to preach 12 years old, 63 years ago, he, uh, he told me, he said, now you don't need at the beginning of your sermon to tell the congregation how weak and unworthy that you are and how incapable you are. He said, they're just about to find that out for themselves. <laughs> and 63 years. I still remember that. That's not what humility is. If you have to tell somebody you're humble, you're not. That'll go with that other rule I made up while ago. If you have to tell somebody you're humble, you're not. It, it, it should show otherwise by the works. Humility resides in the heart. First thing you have to know is a knowledge of your own heart. The psalmist said, search me, O God. How do I tell if my heart's right? What standard do I have? I can't, but I can get on my knees and say, search me, O God, and know my heart. And try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I don't know about you, but I find that as a difficult prayer sometimes. Because I know the Lord's going to be find some things that I don't want to know. But we must know. We must know what is in our heart. Ought to always examine that heart. Secondly, humility must be continually sought after. And it must come from God. Imitation humility is a distasteful form of pride. There is often a grand display of pride, false pride in religion. And no, Jesus would not wear a Rolex. For those of you who've been around, their song used to be, "Would Jesus wear a Rolex?" No, I don't think so. The Laodiceans were proud, weren't they? They said, "I'm rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing." No, it's not that thou art wretched, and miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. The Pharisee was the ultimate religionist. And he said, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. You can read that and tell what the Lord said about that. A 
Look in the Word of God at, at expressions of, uh, of humility. Genesis, the 18th chapter and 27th verse. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Jacob, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of the truth, which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Job, behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Apostle Paul, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good find I not. The results of humility, our, our, our text tells us that. It says, likewise, uh, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. The humble man will feel unworthy. You ever notice when you get close to the Lord how unworthy you feel? We understand we don't merit any of it. It's just God's grace. He will understand and feel the imperfections of his attainments. Have you ever had the Lord help you in a sermon? And you think, boy, that was a good sermon. I tell you, the more the Lord helps me, the more I see. What an awful thing. I've done. Not, I mean, the Lord blessed, but what a feeble effort that I put forth. And the poor instrument with which that he has to work. You know, that's what we are to do in our ministries. We are to prepare ourselves and put in the hands of the Lord an instrument that he can use. And he's got a use for all of you. Look at the lessons that we've had. How these men are different one from the other. And God has a use for all of them. And all of them have been obedient to God and have put in the hands of God an instrument that he can use. I want to tell you, if you're here and, 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 and by your profession you are saved and called to preach... God has got a place for you. He's got an office for you. He's got a job for you. Allow him to take your life and make you what he wants you to be. And open your heart to him. God, help me. Examine my heart. Help me get rid of everything that I might present to thee. A heart that's full of perfect nothingness. We will see our defects in life. We will depend upon divine grace and give all honor and glory to God. Humility should clothe our Christianity. That will be the clothes that we wear. Our profession, every exercise of religion... Our duties and labors, everything. We ought to appear as humble people. I want to close. Not ready to close yet, just the last section. Don't get your hopes up. Uh, Perfect humility. 
Has there ever been perfect humility? Not by me. And I don't know you as well as I know me, but not by you either. There has been by Jesus Christ. (laughs) Not only does he give us the precepts, but he gives us the example. And we see this the first time he spoke publicly. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Talking to disciples here. Okay? And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit are those that are aware of their poverty. Aren't we poverty-stricken? We have nothing except what God gives us. And that places them at the door of mercy. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. And the good news of the gospel is theirs. How could a life be better spent than to spend it Carrying the gospel to people that so need it. If ever there was a time in this world that it's needed, it is today. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What do we have to mourn for? Sin. Our sins. Not only when we were lost, but even now. For the sins of others. And for everything that has ever been done against our dear Savior. When our youngest grandson was saved and he told about that. He said that he became burdened and concerned. When he began to understand that Jesus died because he sinned. Really think about that. It'll put down your heart of perfect nothingness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now that's not this earth. Fortunately, we can say we don't have to live here forever. But it is a new earth. When Jesus came back, he redeemed a lot of things. He redeemed your soul. We know that by experience. And I believe that most of us believe that the Jesus is going to come back and we're going to have a new body. But you know, this earth was sin cursed because of sin. And Jesus paid a great price and he bought it back. Yeah, he did. He sure did. I'll I'll not get into that. You go read about that new earth. That's what we inherit. That's what the meek inherit. Now, I got a side note on on meek. Meek does not mean weak. The ancient Greeks, when they trained their warrior horses to the point that they could be trusted in the heat of battle to do what was expected of them, no matter what the circumstances were, They were determined to be praeus, P-R-A-U-S, anglicized Greek word. That's what's used to translate as meek. (laughs) Here is a 
big old horse, large, powerful, capable of killing the enemy in battle. And they were referred to as weak, as meek, not weak, meek. They were totally subservient to their master. Warrior horses right out here. Able to defeat the enemy because they are not big and boisterous, but because they are meek. Because they are totally subservient to the will of their master. I love you, brethren. And I pray that God be with you and that we could that we could all be the servants that we need to be and that we would truly be meek. Jesus became incarnate humility. And of course, that was culminated when he gave himself totally and completely in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if Father, if there be any way that this pass from me, so be it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Only God, in closing, only God is holy. And so we need to allow God, ask God to humble us so that he might be able to occupy that that is us. But before we can have the Lord, we've got to reach a state of perfect nothingness. May God's richest blessings be with you. Amen.